Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Matt Bertulli, CEO at Pila. Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So a couple of things. This is like a bit of a fanboy moment. I'm a Pila customer. My girlfriend got me into, into Lomi and, and we happened to connect on Twitter and run into each other in person at a conference, actually. And you gave a talk there, which is going to kind of be the basis of our conversation today, sure. because as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, man, there is so much gold in here. So usually how I start these episodes is I like to go back to the beginning. Can you just kind of give our listeners an idea of like, what has been your career journey to date? I know a little bit about your background, but like, what is kind of the, you know, two minute synopsis of your career journey and how you kind of started to where you're at now running Pila? For sure, man. So like, I started out actually as a self-taught software developer. I think I got my first computer when I was 11. I was just lucky. I'm 41 now, right? So like <laughs> super lucky in that my dad was an electrical engineer and where he worked, they had a lot of this stuff. So it was kind of a good luck. And yep. um, so I started in that world really, really young, worked as a like practicing, like, you know, software developer. Like I, I look at like a craft, you know, yep. like, that's what it is. I worked at that until I was like maybe 30 you know, a bunch of different jobs, but like I effectively went from like actively coding to then being a sales engineer at NetSuite when I was 25. Yeah. You know, worked there for a couple of years pre-IPO. Once we went public, I broke it on my own. I started actually like a development shop, right? Yeah. Like I just started building e-commerce websites for retailers yeah. in Canada. And like that company, I bootstrapped that business to like 120 people. Wow. Like eight figures in revenue. Yeah. It took a decade but yeah. did it. Casual decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's 10 year overnight success. Sold yeah. to private equity in 2018, you know, kind of along the way of building that company, I met the founder of Pila. This is like pre-revenue Pila, yeah. so pre-everything. Yep. And I just, I don't know, I, I like something about what he was working on just really resonated. I liked mm -hmm. the mission and this sort of like, let's go after waste. Yeah. Uh, at that time, it was just plastic waste, but like, let's go after waste. Yeah. Over time, I've become like a reluctant marketer because- when you're in like the e-commerce DTC world, like you, you effectively, like that's what you're doing, right? Yeah. It's like you're building brands, you know, and, and like learn what works, what doesn't yeah. still learning what works and what doesn't like, honestly, yeah. I, I think half the time I'm full of shit. Cause like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I know it's working now and yeah. like, and it may not work in six months cause marketers ruin everything. And yeah, like that's kind of it, you know, went from developer to, you know, entrepreneur to, you know, marketer. I want to dig into a couple of things there. One, starting as a developer, you've kind of like, I'm just going to go out here and say this. You're like a marketing late bloomer. It sounds like you obviously built your own business, but yeah. you know, you're not a traditional, Hey, I went to school. I got my bachelor of commerce or I got my MBA no, and like, I'm God, a marketer. No. I used to think marketing was stupid. I was like, I was, I was like a marketing, like turn my nose up at everything marketing, thinking like it was the dumbest thing, you know? Yeah. And my, it was funny. Like when I, my wife and I, I uh, got together at 24 and, you know, she was working at an actual marketing agency in Alberta. And I'm like, you got like, this is all hocus pocus bullshit. This is an actual work. You know, you don't make anything, you know? And even when I was building my own company, like we weren't good at marketing ourselves. Like we were, I was a good salesman yeah. and I was a pretty good product guy. And then like over time working with enough brands enough retailers. Like I just wound up really liking the craft that is marketing, you know, and really like I tend to lean more towards like copywriting and, and language yeah. and positioning than I do anything else. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a, yeah, it was like, it's an evolution. It was like, the, okay, this is where consumer demand comes from. So I guess I, I, I got to get good at this. Yeah. 
Interesting. And so like, what would you say would be kind of the easiest things that you felt that you picked up naturally? And then on the flip side, like what are the, have been the hard things? I mean, the hardest, the hard part of marketing is honestly like, it's like ideas, yeah. right? I hear this like from everybody. It's like, how do I come up with fresh ideas frequently mm-hmm. to try and test and like yeah. see if they work and bar none, man, that is definitely the hardest part of the job mm-hmm. is like, you know, staying fresh, you know, learning to write good copy is, is like a forever craft. Mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm terrible and I have friends that are like world-class copywriters. And every time I throw something at them that I think is good, you know, they'll come back and be like, yeah, here's how it could be better. And I'm like, freaking hell. Like, and I'm not bad. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say you aren't, you aren't bad. And I'm an awful copywriter. And I feel like copy is like very, very difficult to nail. It is. You know, the nice thing with copy is like the art of good copy has not changed in a hundred years. Yep. And you can go back over decades and like what Ogilvy taught to Halbert, to like all of the greats, you know, like to now, you know, watch like Craig Clemens with Golden Hippo. Like there's just so many great copywriters in history that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. And the lessons are the less, they are age old. Yeah. You know, small things change, like certain words and certain things get kind of burnt out. You don't do yeah. that anymore, but channels change and mediums change. Like yeah. how, you, how you write copy for a TikTok video script versus a YouTube versus a like landing page. It's all small variations, but it really is. That's the bulk of marketing, man, is like just putting an awesome message, like a very compelling set of words in front of somebody that drives them to action that you want. That's it. Absolutely. I need to get better copywriting. That's something where I'm like, oh, like when I see good copy, I'm like bookmark and like, I need to get better at this. So yeah, there's lots of tricks to being great at copy, you know, like it's it's one of those, again, because it is a well-studied long time field Mm. and it doesn't take much. What it is, is like the challenge with writing good copy is like, you have to do it every day. Yeah. It's like anything else. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. It's a, honestly, like you got to wake up, you got to write. So like I write every day, even if I'm not writing like sales copy or marketing copy, I write every day. Yeah. I actually think that that's like likely, that's pretty much like the main output of my job. Right. Mm. As like, you know, founder and CEO of Pila, it's like, I pretty much communicate. Yeah. Right. And if writing is like a clear way of thinking, right? That kind of goes it's hand the in best, hand. man. Like whether that's like you're you need to communicate to your team internally or shareholders, board, investors, customers, partners, it largely comes down to words. So like the better you get at them, whether that's written or verbal, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Like I think it's the ultimate business superpower. Yep, communication. Okay, we could do a whole episode around copies. So I kind of <laughs> want to like pivot, pivot gears here. So when I first watched your your presentation at this conference, you were kind of very polarizing in the way that you talked about marketing, approach marketing, and you've kind of said that the best businesses create new categories. They don't really position mm-hmm. themselves into existing ones. And yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I actually wrote down in my notes in reviewing, preparing for this episode was I wrote Matt hates positioning. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Can you kind of break down that thought process and like, what does that kind of mean for marketers who probably buy into that positioning concept? Yeah. You know, like, I think I mentioned this in that presentation too, but like for me, it's been like this journey over the last like five to seven years of like really when I started to really dig into marketing, you know, and positioning is like what people talk about. And there's very famous books on this from like very famous people that are better, better at this than I am. But at the same time, like I've always just thought I don't love the you know, a book that resonated with me was like uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, yep. right? And 
I don't love the idea of positioning within an existing market. Mm -hmm. You know, I much preferred the idea of creating something net new that nobody's ever seen before. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like our first product, right, was a compostable phone case, but like nobody had ever thought that you could like take a really new age material, make a regular product out of it and completely create a new category. Like we changed the conversation around mobile accessories and there's like a hundred copycats of that business now yeah. because we just blew a new category open. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the language and my thinking has really been helped by, there's this like Substack called Category Pirates. Yeah. You know, Chris Lockhead and Nicole and Eddie Yoon, like they're on our board of advisors. Like those three guys really helped put like structure and words around our approach to like, how are we building this company? Yeah. Right. And a lot of what they teach, I'm like, shit, that's what we do, you know? Yeah. And then, and then they teach, like, there's things I learned from them. I'm like, man, we don't do that at all. And like, that's a great thing that we should try. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, you know, my view is the best companies create categories. If you look at the very best companies in history, they all created categories. They didn't just show up into an existing bloody market mm-hmm. and like carve out their little niche, you know, like, they didn't go in there saying like, oh, the riches are in the niches. It's like, no, man, like they went in, they found a toehold and they their vision was very big. Mm. Now, this is just my school of my view, right? Like yeah. I absolutely think there is a world where, and it's a very successful world. Yeah. Where like you can build companies purely on positioning, Yeah, you know, like purely on saying like, I know that every day in Target, they sell a bajillion protein bars, right? I'm going to make a different protein bar. Yeah. And I'm just going to position differently. I'm going to make one for paleo or keto. Like you can do that. But like my own preference is like, I would rather go in and not make a protein bar. I'd rather make a protein shake if that was like, if that hadn't existed yet. Totally. Like something completely different that still solves for a problem that a customer has. And then the really great companies, they solve problems that customers don't even think of it, that they don't, they don't even know that they have yet. You know, like that's the Henry Ford example of the world. Yeah. You know, or, or the Steve Jobs iPhone. Totally. It's like, thing. you know, nobody even thought they wanted those things. They're hard companies to build though. Like the, this is not the easy path to building a business. Like mm-hmm. every example of a category creating business took a long ass time to build that category. These yeah. were done in like two years, three years flip. These are decades long journeys. Yeah. Um, I would even argue that like Tesla is the category king of electric cars, even though they weren't the first. Yep. Right. They built that category. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because there's a book behind me on the shelf and I've referenced it in other episodes. I got an old shitty used copy on Amazon and it's called Will Envision, How Latecomers Come to Dominate Markets. Yes. And it's kind of based on going down that train of thought. And I think like not to get listeners confused here is like, don't just innovate for the sake of innovating. Like oh. with you, what you've done with the compostable phone case thing. And, and now with Lomi, yep. it was more so like based on a, a huge existing category, but yes. taking a different spin on it and being, it's almost like more strategic innovation as opposed to, you know, totally. innovating for the sake of innovating. Yeah. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not an inventor. I can yeah. tell you that. We look at things as like we're product development and R&D people. And the things that I focus on, like I like looking at like household habits and yeah. daily regular in the home problems or, yeah. or even like movement problems. Like what I liked about the peel case business and still do is you know, everybody's got a smartphone and 80% of the people have a smartphone put a, a freaking phone case on it. Yep. Right. So like, I'm not going to capture all of those people, but I am going to be able to get a good amount with a completely new category of product. So, mm. and, and like some people argue they're like, well, actually like peel case was just good positioning within phone cases. I'm like, I had to invent a material that's not exactly positioning. Yeah. Right. Like we that's actually, we literally had to invent a new kind of plastic. Yeah. That's you know, not a landing like, page. <laughs> no, 
there wasn't like some shtick, you know, I didn't just show up and say, Hey, I'm donating money to charity. Like that's like not category creation, right? It was like, yeah. okay, there's all this existing consumer demand for a product and a, or a solution for a problem. Yeah. I showed up and said like, well, I'm going to kind of like take some of that demand in a different way. I'm still going to solve the problem, but I'm going to give you words and messaging that you've never seen before. Yeah. Right. We showed up in that industry and that industry, all they talk about is like phone protection. And it was like, you remember the megapixel wars of cameras? It was yeah. like, who could release the most well, megapixels? Like, and ours is 13.2. Right. And you're like, does yeah, it matter? Stupid ass. Like, you know, so like the phone, the phone protection industry was like, my phone, your this phone case can be dropped from a helicopter. Well, this one can get fall out of a plane. It was so far past stupid. Okay, this is not creative. And yeah. we showed up and our our lead message was, did you know that a billion plastic phone cases is thrown away every year? That stopped people in their tracks. They're like, holy shit, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm like, if you thought straws was bad, let me introduce you to phone cases. Yeah. <laughs> right? I love that kind of marketing, which is like, you're asking questions and you're you're actually getting the the customer, whoever your customer is, whether it's B2B or B2C, you're getting them to ask the question. And yeah. that, like, to me, that's how you do it, man. Well, I want to dig into the phrase lightning strikes because that's yeah. something that's in the title of this. That was kind of in the title of the presentation that I saw you give at the conference. And so what the fuck is a lightning strike? Why Dude, that's, so that's a like, this is a, this is a Chris Lockhead, Eddie Cole term <laughs> that I love. When I first read this from them, before the term lightning strike, I used to call these like tentpole events. Yeah, whatever you like, wanted to call. You know, whatever, like the marketing industry had tons of terms for it. I'm like, no, like lightning strike makes so much more sense, right? It's like this super concentrated amount of energy in one point in time, in one place. Like, you know, so in marketing speak, you know, the way I look at this is a strike is like something like a, I'll give you an example, like, like the Lomi launch of the product was a lightning strike, right? Mm -hmm. We chose to do it in a crowdfund platform. We did it on a very specific day, Earth Day. We lined up a shitload of PR. We were, I was on TV all day long. We just did everything that you would, that like most companies think that they have to spread out. Yeah. We concentrated all the work on a single day. Yeah. Right. And then we watched it build momentum afterwards. And again, if you look at the great companies right now, they do this, right? Like Apple has two major events a year. Yep. And it, it, you're hard pressed to find a lot of marketing from Apple the rest of the year. Yeah. And a lot of they don't. But, you know, people will argue, be like, oh, yeah, but Apple's so big, they don't have to anymore. I'm like, yeah, but they always did this, guys. Whenever they did something, it was like, it was a strike and then they kind of went away. You know, so these are big momentum building events. It's a certain message, a certain plate time for a certain customer with like a wicked category creating kind of message, like a wicked transformation that, when that person sees it, it's like, holy shit, I've never, I didn't think of that. Mm -hmm. um, that's what strikes are. The controversial part about them is like a lot of companies do the other thing, which is like even keeled peanut butter style marketing. Yeah. It's like, I want 10 leads a day at this price mm -hmm. so I can close this many. Like we've really turned marketing into this like strange exercise of math mm -hmm. uh, uh, and like funnels and close ratios and, and all that's important. But I've proved multiple times now, even just personally, that when you do a strike properly, like you can catapult a business from like zero to tens of millions with a good strike. Yeah. Instead of like trying to step it up every day, every week for like months and months and years and years, mm -hmm. you know, like, because companies don't grow that way. Yeah. Like companies, companies don't do straight up to the right type growth. Yeah. It's always steps. And actually often it's like, 
it's this up and down motion. They grow, they shrink, they grow up even bigger, then they shrink again. They grow up even bigger. And like the strikes actually help you build those S curves and yeah. connect them together. That's so the, why they're awesome. So those are those kind of like step changes. And then digging into that a little further, it's like that peanut butter that you kind of have already on yeah, can like then continue to amplify those strikes because you're That's able just gonna to get reference better. back to those things. Totally. That just gets better right? There's so many different ways to do these kinds of strikes. Like, you know, big companies like to use events and conferences, D to C like product launches can be good strikes. Something they can be very big or very, like they can be much smaller. They don't need to be gigantic all the time. You know, it could be like a key partnership or like a key endorsement that you just like want to put a concentrated amount of energy behind. That's actually worthy of attention. One of the things that you said, like last time I heard you speak about this was this concept of manufacturing strikes. And I want to kind of like touch on that because I feel like at least I'll do kind of like a share here. I've been in rooms with tons of different marketers when I sat in on the brand side and now with us consulting with brands where it's like, okay, how can we lean into different days? Right. And so I think when a lot of people think like, okay, manufacturing a day, international yoga pant day or national sure. hot dog day or whatever. Yeah. I feel like some marketers hearing that would, would roll their eyes because they'd be like, oh, great. Here, we have to do another shitty post around hot dog day or whatever the thing is. Yeah. But I think where a lot of what I'm kind of hearing from you is if you're going to actually do a strike, like invest in it and like fucking double down and do it and not, yep. oh yeah, hey, our support for international hot dog day is like we put up a carousel of hot dog photos. Right. You know? Yeah. No, it's it's actually like th this is where it gets nerve wracking is you you actually have to put quite a bit of resources towards a yeah. strike. So like it's, you know, 60, 70% of your effort is going to go into a strike. Like kind of what you're trying to do as a company is string like one to three of these together a year, varying sizes. Yeah. So like a lot of companies, this shows up at like specific times of years, right? So like if you, if you sell physical things, we're about to enter back to school. So a lot yeah. of brands will use that as a, and like we will too. Yeah. Um, Holiday. All yeah, that. like Black Friday, Cyber yeah. Monday, like that's genuinely just a repeating strike, you know, like day. concentrated effort on like five days, yep. three months, whatever it is now. <laughs> um, I think that's the the thinking is like, you really have to look at a calendar year or however long and then yeah. like kind of pick your points and say like, we're going to build momentum at these points because it is like time is a variable in this. Yeah. And so what advice would you have out there for, for marketers if they think about, you know, manufacturing those kind of lightning strikes? Like, do you kind of have, I don't know if it's a checklist or like, here's how to think about it. What have you kind of done in the past? Maybe like you, you kind of talked about how you aligned Lomi with Earth Day. Like, duh, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, I'm just like, I always like to I try not to make it as hard as possible, right. right? If there's an existing day where there's a bunch of people paying attention to a problem yeah. or a cause or like something that's aligned with what you're doing, it's usually good to try to hijack that day. You know, whereas like if there isn't, then you kind of have to create your own, right? The big brands create their own, like these product launch events. And those events aren't, and the other, the key thing to all this too, is like, you can't do this for like everybody. You really have to think, a strike is only for a very small subset of your customers that actually care about your brand or your company. Yeah. Most of your customers don't, they don't actually don't care. Like nobody yep. likes hearing that, but like 89% of your customers don't give a shit about you. You you sell a product, they buy it, period, full stop. But like 10% of your customers are super bought in. You know, a good example of this, like if you ever really want to see what a company that leans into, and that's not Apple, because I hate using Apple as an example. If you want to see a company that leans into this, like this, like core super consumer, to use Eddie's term, DJI drones, drone nerds are drone nerds. And yeah. they are like extra into 
drones. So when DJI does stuff, they do it for the core. They don't really care about like Bob's sweater from, you know, where I live. Like who's going to go to Best Buy and buy a $200 drone? They don't give a shit about Bob. Yeah. Bob's buying it because he wants to play or whatever. It's a gift for his kid. Whereas like there are extra nerdy drone people where they've yeah. got multiple drones and they like all drone things and they they sit there on the forums and talk with other drone nerds. Like, so if you're DJI, you cater to them, you know, and Apple does that. Like when Apple launches products, the only people who really care, like really, like the problem in our world is like, you know, a lot of techies. Yeah. So like, it's a big deal in our world, but like, man, talk to your parents. Like they couldn't, they, they couldn't even tell you when the launch event is. Let alone what model iPhone is currently on. I don't give a shit. Like 90% of the population's like, what just happened? But like the press eats it up. It's like, oh, look at the people sleeping outside the Apple store. I'm like, yeah, because those are Apple nerds. Yeah. And they have a lot of them and it's great. Yeah. Like, and they build those events for those people because then those people take it and tell all their friends and like they generate noise, right? And that's like, that's what makes for a great strike is it Mm -hmm. lights up a core. Another good example of how to tell if a strike is great is it's also going to piss another side off. You know, like Lomi has like mega haters. They're like, well, really? I can't, believe, I can't believe you're using power when like you could just get chickens or, oh, okay. or like a backyard compost. So I'm like, man, for fuck's sakes, like if that was the case, right, we should all have a bin in our backyard and do it the old way. But like we, we don't. So it like, goes back to the Ford example. Like if everyone wanted more, I should get more horses, right? Like, you know, so like people get pissed off because the thing uses electricity and it's like, or we'll get like the hardcore composters will be like, well, you're not really making compost. I'm like, I know it's, it's called composting. It's an act. It's a process. It's like, I'm not claiming to finish six months of compost. Come on yeah. guys. Yeah. I'm taking care of a problem for a customer. Like, and you can use what comes out of a Lomi for the same shit, like the same way that you can traditional compost or work yeah. food. And, but this is a good thing to me. It's like, no, no, I, I created something that is genuinely polarizing. So I have like hardcore fans. And on the other side of that coin, I have people who are opposing it. And as a marketer, I'm like, that's freaking great. Yeah. Like, I'll take it all day. I want to, I want to like click into that just around that as a brand and being polarizing and being bold. Totally. Like, do you kind of feel, I don't know, I'll give my take. So I feel the original gangster of kind of like polarization that I think a lot of people will remember is like Wendy's on Twitter when it was like the sassy kind of thing. Like, totally. you know, that would kind of be the recent example, I feel like. And then yeah. all of a sudden you start to see like these different things happening most recently, this Radio Shack stuff and like what all this kind of stuff has happened. And then with a lot of like cancel culture, yeah. you've seen, I think you've probably seen that pendulum go to like really sassy and then back to like, oh shit, that person got like canceled and kind of like run out of yeah. town. And so I think a lot of that pendulum is going back to like safety. How, I think how it's actually you- going to come back very fast to like say what you want. You know, people are, I, and I think that it's a, it's a like it's a demographic psychographic thing. Like yeah. I really think your, your audience matters. Like the, I think the having a strong opinion, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And the world would be a lot better place if we all realized that like not all of us can care about every single thing the same that you do about your thing. We're all so varied in what we, what we care about. Right. Yeah. Like I spend my time and energy on like environmental things yep. and I don't even do all of them. I don't give a shit about energy. Like I really don't. Elon, however, cares a lot about it. Yeah. Right. So like, and, and other people care a lot about energy. I don't care. I'm like, look, there's a lot of people working on that. I'm, I, I'm looking at waste and I'm like, not too many people are working on waste except for the mafia. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and they've been doing it the same way for a hundred years. Cause they got a good gig. It's yeah. about two and a half trillion a year. It's a great gig. 
you know, so I think like cancel culture, the thing that it's, it has done is it's, it's caused a lot of great voices to just stop being like, stop talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of people are afraid of like angering people. Yeah. I don't care. I think that it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to piss someone off. Yeah. No one's ever going to be yeah. happy at everything. Dude, even <laughs> clowns can't be, get, get everybody happy. Like some people are scared shitless of clowns and their job is to make you happy. Yeah. So like, I think we'd all be better off just realizing like, number one, I mean, don't go out and be an asshole for the sake of it. Yeah. Like, being an asshole and being that polarizing hard. are two very different things. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's okay to say like, look, I believe this. You may not. And that's fine. Yeah. Right. We don't need to agree on everything. And yeah. Uh, and I think that's okay. You know, and I think the internet has allowed like the broad nitpicking of shit. Yeah. I call it picking the, uh, the fly sheet out of the pepper. Yeah. It's like, why are we arguing about this? You know, yeah. like. I think last week I was on Twitter or week before. I'm like, you know, the, the Twitter algorithm rewards <laughs> super polarizing statements like of absolutes. Yep. It's like the six best ways to like put your underwear on in the morning and blows up, right? But like yeah. inevitably what happens is like, that's what the algorithm wants. Then you've got people that show up and say like, well, my cousin's dog's brother's <laughs> uncle does it this way. And he says that you're wrong. Yeah. And that's the internet. Yeah. So it's like, if you don't like that, I would say you probably don't want to be in marketing. You yeah. don't want to be talking publicly. Like, yeah. You know, because that's the internet. Yeah. Well, I think also, like, just to add to that, the fact that there's almost like a running log of capturing everything, right? Think about the like, oh, people like, I have the receipts. Oh, well, you said this six years ago. And you're like, okay. I know. I know. And I, I <laughs> kind of like my view and everything, it, honestly, like, I tell people all the time, like, look, I have strong beliefs that they're loosely held. And I love I that change my mind all the damn time. Yep, And I reserve the right to change my mind. And yep. something I said five years ago that I think is really true five years ago. Yep. If you want to pull that up and say like, dude, look what you said five years ago, go for it. Like all you're showing me is just like how shallow and stupid you are. Call it what it is. Like get a fucking hobby. Yeah. <laughs> well, and <laughs> you know? if the information changes, right? Like I've, I've had things before where, you know, I've said something and I'm like, yeah, it's this. And then people are like, oh, well, that's not what you said that. And I'm like, well, the data changed or the behavior changed or the things changed. We learn. So it's kind of like, yeah. We learn and we change, you know, yeah. and like, and we grow. And I think that's like, that's actually the beautiful part of society. And like, as a marketer, I, lo- I look at that, I lean into it. And yeah. it's like, look, I, I'm looking for problems that people care about. And I spend my time on those problems because I'm a capitalist who wants to do some good in the world. Like, I yeah. want to use capitalism to do good in the world. So I need to find the intersection points between like, this is a problem we're solving and that people are willing to pay for it. You know, and a lot of the times when you take this view, you are going to polarize folks. Like anytime you're trying to solve like a social or an environmental issue, you are going to anger people because this is a thing. So like, you know, most people don't know this, but like, I can't remember the exact number, but like the vast majority, vast, like 80 two plus percent. I think it's like 80, some stupid high number percentage of Americans believe climate change is real. And people would say like, no, no, no. Like the entire Republican party doesn't. It's like, that's not true. That's actually Mm. not true. Yeah. You know, what people disagree on is how to go about addressing it. Yeah. So instead of it becoming a really great debate, it's turned into this like hotly polarized political piece of crap and it should be good debate like yes and there there are like don't get me wrong there are so many great people that have like great conversation and debate even though they disagree on how yeah they agree that there's a problem and it's worth solving they agree Um, on the what they might disagree on the how 
Totally. And like, and they agree on the why, Yeah, you know, and like, I've just come to be super okay that like, I believe in my why I believe in the, like what needs to be solved yep. and people may disagree with my way of doing it. Yeah, That's cool. I'm okay with that. Right. And I would rather engage in the conversation with people also doing the work. Like the only people I don't engage with are like just the people that sit on the sidelines and throw shit. It's like, why, you know, like yeah. we've had some weird ass YouTubers come after us with Lomi that are like, they're just like, they make crap up. They've yeah. never even seen or used the product and they just yeah. make shit up. And I'm like, I can't talk to you like that. <laughs> you're a waste of oxygen. Thanks. <laughs> you know, like, Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. The polarizing, I think the polarizing thing for a brand positioning is that it's obviously a hot topic. And I think it's going to continue like no matter it whether it's TikTok or Facebook or whatever, like that thing is going to transcend platforms and like marketing channels. But that's such an important topic is how to deal with that. And like, should you be more opinionated or should you be? I think that's the important thing though. Like, look, the, if you're going to do great marketing, like great work. Okay. And we should all be angling to do great work. Yeah. Always. You have to accept that the output of great work is going to be polarizing. It's not something that you deal with. It is yeah. not something that you navigate. It's something you just accept. Yeah. And if you can't accept it, don't fucking do it. Yep. <laughs> Go get a job doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I want to switch gears a little bit here. As you've kind of studied marketing, you've done it with a really wide lens. And you've said in the past yeah. that, you know, You've learned from male and hat enhancement stuff to Dude, applying it to SaaS. Like, like, how should marketers be thinking about researching and taking inspiration from you know best practices yeah. outside their industry? Uh, I mean, we get so stuck in our own industries. You know, like we were at a SaaS event, right? With yeah. our friend for our friend Dan, and and I sell consumer goods. You know, multi-channel consumer goods, and yeah. like I like to look way outside of my own box. I find that's where I learn all my best shit. So, like the phrase I use is, "I go wide in my learning, but I go narrow in my practice." Yeah, you know, and I think that any person, whether it's a marketer or not, the more you look a field, you know, the better you're going to get at your job. Yeah, and I do that. Like when it comes to marketing, I study. Anybody and everybody, uh, like lately I've been like just eating up Alex Hormozzi's work yeah, because um, he's like everywhere right now. I just feel yeah. like that guy's freaking everywhere. But he is bloody brilliant when it comes to sales. So like I don't, not, not, I don't do that kind of selling, but like we're always all selling. Of course. You know, and I find that a lot of what he's, I've heard from him. I'm like, shit, I could translate that into like this piece of copy or like this landing page or, yeah. or like the way that we support a customer post-purchase. I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. And he's talking about selling like gym services. Yeah. Gym sales services. And I'm like, I sell a kitchen appliance. He sells gym services. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, man, this is genius. I could use this. Yeah. And I, I, I suffice everybody. You should do that always. Like go wide. Yeah. It's funny. You, we've used this phrase internally at, at our company and kind of why we exist is there's a CMO. Her name's Marissa Thalberg. I believe yeah. she was most recently a CMO at Lowe's. Um, but she has this phrase that like, when I first heard this, it just like smacked me. And it was look within your industry for information and outside your industry for inspiration. 100%. And you need, you need both. And yeah. it's so interesting. Like there have been times where when I was sitting on the brand side or even, you know, some of the research that our team delivers to, to our clients is, okay, you might sell consumer package product X, but there are so many things that you can learn from best in class. So one of the ones that I always go to is like the streaming giants, Netflix, Disney plus Hulu. They yeah. are gangster retention marketers, yeah, like absolute gangsters. And so I'm like, yeah. if you're an e-commerce brand 100%. working in retention, 
hack that funnel and see what they do. See their level of personalization. See all those things. Because like, yeah. are you selling a Netflix subscription? Absolutely not. But you can see strategically and tactically what they're doing yeah. and if it's effective or not. And are they doing it over and over again? Yeah. And so like things like that. So yeah. That's, it's it's that's... the words and the images, right? Like the, the you got to look at like when they deliver the message, how they deliver it. And, you know, like, what are they saying? This is the funny thing. Like the best marketing out there by a mile is simple. It's so simple. Yeah. Like it's the least amount of words. It's the most obvious imagery. It isn't a lot of stuff. It's very, very narrow. Yeah. And I think that like when you look at great brands, like look at how Lululemon is. Like Lululemon is like scalpel, effective, accurate with the photos and the people in those photos. And like they just they do the work. They know their customers. Like who the they know hell? that tribe. I need they know their customers and they 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 know them on a geographic basis. So it's like how they position Lululemon in, you know, the southern United States or New York is different from how they do it in Vancouver. Yep. Right. Like, and different in Asia and and et cetera, et cetera. It's so uh, yeah, and like they're, you know, so I think that, like, that's how you have to look at it. You have to look at it with like this, you know, get your inspiration from all over the place and in your own industry that the message doesn't need to be overly complicated. Yeah, it really doesn't. I want to talk a little bit more about retention. You're a guy who sold a lot of shit online. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of like marketing, I don't know, maybe just the industry or the, the overarching narrative is growth, 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 growth. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think like new customers acquisition, but retention is also a huge part of, of fueling growth. It is. What are, what are kind of like some things that you've learned about retention marketing, the importance, that sort of thing. I feel like it's often kind of overlooked. It's so like the thing that I care about the most when it comes to retention marketing is yeah. just straight up customer experience and service. Straight up. I think if you don't have a world-class customer experience yep. for who you're serving, do not start with any of the other shit. Yep. Seriously. It's like now you're talking like you're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. Like yep. why? You know, the better email tool or a better whatever tool isn't going to do as much for retention as if you just looked at your customer and said, how do I over-service this? How do I service this person in a way that they're like, I have never been treated like this by any other company like this. Yep. Do the things that they're just not going to expect, you know, and that that's 95% of retention. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I have, I have an experience that I'll, I'll share with you and I'd love to get your take on this. So I'm a bit of a sleep nerd. I wear an aura ring and yeah. I ended up buying one of those eight sleep mattress toppers. Oh yeah. And so I don't know. I bought it maybe, I think I got it almost a year ago. And I, okay. when I ordered, they're not cheap. They're about three grand. Yeah. And is this like the thing that goes on top of the mattress? It's like the thing that goes yeah. on top of the mattress and it pumps water through this grid that feels your temperature, your body temperature, cools you, heats you, whatever. They're kind of blowing up on Twitter. So me being the sleep nerd, I was like, I'm down. Like, I'll try this. I'm a hot sleeper. And so I bought one and I had to wait like two months for it to show up. And it shows up and I have a king size bed and they send me like a double or like a, a queen <laughs> or something. So like right <laughs> out of the gates, I'm like, fuck these guys. Like yeah. I was so, I was so pissed. And so immediately what do I do? I message them, but then I also get on Twitter to be like the fuck. Yeah. And what was crazy was the head of distribution and logistics was like, Hey, that's our bad publicly. And was like, our Canada warehouse is a shit show. We're in the U S I'm going to overnight you on tomorrow. So they did that. And I was like, okay, like that's pretty amazing customer yeah. response, but then here's where it gets better. So about a month goes by. 
I wake up one morning and the mattress topper has popped. I'm like in a pool of water. What? I'm in a pool of water. <laughs> and again, I go on Twitter and I'm like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> like here we are again. And again, they're like, we're not going to send you a new piece. We're sending you an entire new unit. And they sent me an entire new unit. And again, like not a cheap unit, right? And then about three months later, it happened again. Come on. And and so what did they do? They overnighted me another one. And so now they've sent me, I'm on my third one of these things. And what I'll say, like anybody if eight sleeps out there listening to this, the product is legit. Yeah, like, it's, product, apparently it's great. It's, yeah. The product is amazing. And I should actually hate this company based on the experience. But every time they've stumbled, boom, they've like kind of responded like that. This is the thing, man. So like, and I think that there are brands that do this really, really well, you know, and like, I don't think we're great at it yet. I think mm -hmm. we're, we're getting better. I think, you know, what's interesting too, like, this is the trick with retention, the tactics from company to company, actually, they need to vary. Right. Um, yeah. So like, I'll give you like the example with Lomi, like we've recently really been learning more about our customers with Lomi and something that surprised us is they're quite a bit older than we thought. Hmm. Right. So like we, uh, we assumed that like the ideal Lomi customer was like late twenties, early thirties, you know, liberal, progressive, like all the things. Yeah. Right? Turns out they're actually in their forties on average. Interesting. Um, you know, like we're a third boomers, a third millennial and a third Gen X and 4% Gen Z. Wow. Think about that now. So like, now that you know that we were servicing our customers primarily through email Number one we complaint we got was like, don't you guys have a phone number? I can just talk to someone. And we couldn't figure it out. We're like, who the fuck wants to talk to someone? Yeah. Well, grandparents, Yeah. you know, people over 40, yep. like to pick up the phone. You know, it's a piece of technology. Yeah. Probably want some help. Yeah. That little insight, we're like, shit. Okay. So like the way that we design the experience for this product now, it's evolving every week. We're like, yeah. okay, like maybe we offer a, like a concierge setup service. Like we're- huh. Like you can get on FaceTime with us and we'll help you with the initial setup. Yeah. Stuff like that, right? I would never do that in my Pila Case business ever. Yeah. There's no point. It's yeah. super easy. Open it, put it on your phone. And the customer in my Pila Case business is 22-year-old female. It's like 85% is 22-year-old females. Yeah. So like way different experience that I need to think about and design. Yeah. Right? But the premise is the same. It's like, how are we showing up to them? from a service perspective, I think that's like the bulk of retention. Yeah. Well, it makes so much sense when you say that. Cause yeah, I, I mean, okay. I'm 32 liberal guy into tech, but then when I think about Lomi, it's, you know, a higher end appliance. Totally. And so I'm like, I then immediately was like, what else do I have in my house? I have a Dyson fan, a Dyson yep. vacuum. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense that a 23 year old or 25 year old probably doesn't give a shit about those things. No, of course not. You know, huh. and nor can they afford any of those things. Exactly. Bought yeah. Share a wallet. So like it's people who are 35 and up yeah. who kind of buy this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and that and that's it. It's like, so when you hear me say this, people are like, well, duh. And I'm like, yeah, but it's <laughs> it's hard to know that up front. It's not as it's not as easy when you're in it too. No. Like, even you and just it, saying that, I didn't yeah. like I'm like, yeah, I fit that, but you're right. I thought that a 25-year-old would be all over this, but I'm like, mm. no. No, because the price point, all those different things. Right. So like, think of how that changes our marketing and our service. Like, you know, am I really going to lean into organic TikTok? No. Maybe I'll do some paid acquisition there and like yep. very specific, like 40 plus and a certain kind of ad and content. But like, 
you know, I'm probably not, but like yeah. shockingly, do we, we do really well on YouTube? No shit. You know, will we do really well on TV? Probably. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. It's like knowing your customer very intimately, mm-hmm. how they think and speak about you and how they want service. Like that is all just so it's, it's, you know, this is the funny thing with the field of marketing. Like all of the advice is very obvious. Yeah. And nobody does it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was talking to my CMO this week. I'm like, man, our landing page sucks and we're good. Like we're good copywriters and we're good everything. And I'm like, our LP sucks. Like, why does it suck so much? It's like, well, we just haven't spent any time there. I'm like, let's fix that this week. You know, like it's a major lever in the business. Yeah. But like, we know that that's what you're supposed to do. I'm pretty good at this shit. And yet I wasn't doing it. So it's just like, it's the ultimate challenge with the field. Yeah. You know, that applies to like acquisition. It applies to retention. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Well, it's funny you say that, right? It's like, everyone knows that you should exercise, eat healthy, whatever. And it's like knowing and doing are two very different things. Yep. I you wanna... know, that, that's my current gripe everywhere. It's like, man, <laughs> I, I have like the amount I've actually like, I, I, uh, when I moved out to BC, yeah. um, I committed to my coach. I'm like, he's like, so what, what are your goals for this year? I'm like, none. I'm going after, I don't want to do anything. Like I'm working on my business. I just sold my last company. I want to hang out with my wife and kid and I have no plans and no goals. And I'm going to try this for 12 months because prior to that, I'm like a high drive, like everything's like, you know, quarterly, this is what I want to accomplish. You know, here's where I'm going to work on these things on myself. And I'm like, and I've abandoned all of that. And I've abandoned all the, like the 25 daily habits you need to be fucking happy and healthy and whatever the hell else they, like all the experts tell you. And it's like, no, I write every day. I sweat every day. You know, that's it. Yeah. There's not a whole lot else that's fancy. And I'm like, it's so much, it's less stressful. Uh, <laughs> it's so much less stressful. And I'm I'm like getting in better shape than I ever did before without any like crazy ass goals and targets or, yeah. or weird daily things. So Just it, it is, yeah, you know, bias towards action. It's shockingly good advice. Yeah. Um, so I've like, I've become over time, uh, I went from like an obsessive consumer of information and how do I get better and yeah. grow to a lot more passive. Like I will probably reread the same books 90% of the time, then go try to find new ones. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So especially, so speak- especially marketing stuff. Like yeah. it's always the old books. Yeah. Interesting. So so speaking about that, one of the questions I always ask as we're kind of starting to wind down the episode here is how do you stay up to date with business and marketing? So, you know, you've, you've mentioned Twitter, you mentioned old books. Like I always find, you know, I dropped out of university after a month. I never went back and I'm a big book article nerd and kind of learning by doing. Who are you reading? Who are you following? What are the, I mean, yeah, you have a huge bookshelf behind you, which is perfect. Oh, I'm actually reading this right now. Big black book, Agora's big black book. So Agora is an incredible organization. Like you want a direct response marketing. This thing is like, look at this thing. I know I'm taking it's it out beat. of this. I'm buying this on Amazon. Uh, and, um, <laughs> I'm currently rereading Persuasion, so that's like yep. Cialdini's yep, like follow-up book. Yep, I'm rereading that right now, and I have to look on my Kindle. I've always got a, like a whole bunch. Yep. that I'm kind of like in the process of rereading. Yep, most of it is like I'll go back and reread things, you know, that crossing the chasm. Yeah, right, like just for a smack in the face. 
to like find the things that I'm screwing up. With. Yeah. You know, I really like uh, Lencioni's stuff around leadership. So like I just finished reading The Motive. Yeah. It was great. Um, like five dysfunctions of the team and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. I run a hundred person plus company. So like it is, it does take leadership. Yeah. I can't just do marketing. So <laughs> it's stuff like that. But like, if you were to look in my Kindle, you're going to think, see things like high output management from Andy Grove. You're going to see, I'm just looking right now, like, you know, scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins. Yeah. There's things like from Adam Grant and mm-hmm. like, I, I don't have a ton of books. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. And I tend to like, and if I get a new book, I usually like, I, I, I actually think I got this from Dan, but I, I, I tend to read the first three pages of a chapter. And if it's not teaching me anything new, I skip the chapter. Yeah. So like, I will literally like pick up, I'll get a new book and I'll be done it in 25 minutes because like the first three pages of a chapter just didn't do anything for me. So I skipped it. Yeah. Which is good or bad. And, well, I think that. I like that. I'm like, be shameless about not spending time on shit that isn't interesting. <laughs> Like, yeah, there's just like, there's not a lot of like new ideas in yeah. business are very hard to come by, Yeah, you know? So I tend to only read things that people like really recommend, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had a friend of mine recommend the book Alchemy by Rory yep. Sutherland. Yep. That book is fucking incredible. Like, yep. you know, about like creative thinking and like side door thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stuff like that. I, I I don't buy all the latest stuff. Yeah. Interesting. One that came to mind, like in thinking back to everything that we talked about, it's one of my favorite books. It's called Hitmakers by a guy named Derek Thompson. And he's, uh, it's basically the science behind popularity. And so he goes back looking over like the last hundred years of like why things went big and really, really fascinating book. And he's a good follow on Twitter as well. Yeah. I've read that book over and over again because it's like the same type. Derek Thompson? Derek Thompson. Hitmakers. Like I will, I will go give that a read. Yeah. I've never heard of it before, but like you're recommending it. So like, I'll get it. I'll do the same thing. Like I'll read the first three pages of a chapter and I'll be like, yeah. oh shit, it's pretty interesting. I'll probably keep going. Yeah. It's just that like, there's so many books that get published now because it's so easy. Of course. And really like most of us have still not put into practice the lessons from all of the greats. Of course. Right. So yeah. like, we're always looking for the new thing instead of just saying like, Maybe we should reread how to win, like win friends and influence people. I'm <laughs> literally like reading that habits. right now. That's what's on like, my Kindle. Yeah, like those are timeless, excellent books. Yeah, uh, that I, I would say, like read those before, or like you know what I uh, the one I recommend the most is the E Myth. Yep, so good. Like so because I know so, so many business owners, and yeah. most of them are small business owners. I'm like guys, like the, and most of their problems, like just go read the E Myth, please, just go read the E Myth. Yeah. You know, like it will open your eyes to a whole new world. Totally. And then come and talk to me. Yeah. That's when um, my co-founder read and he was like, as soon as he read it, he was like, you need to read this now. And I like dropped everything and read it. And yeah, there's so many things that you could point back to. Yep. Okay. Last question for you. I know you're always focused on building businesses and maybe not on too many podcasts. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you? Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you're a good follow, by the way, for the record. <laughs> I love your threads. <laughs> I'm starting to write and publish more. I'm going to actually get my own website stood nice. up at some point here in like this century. Yeah. Um, it's a little busy. One of those things that's like, <laughs> I just don't make it a priority. Yeah. You know, like I started to, you know, as I like, as my company gets bigger and I get more time, right. I've started to like actually like working with other entrepreneurs and like helping them. Yeah. Particularly on like category design and yeah, like leadership. Like how do you, how do you go from like the question I've been asking a lot lately is how do you go from like small business owner to entrepreneur to CEO? Mm-hmm. 
that's quite the journey. Yep. Right. And not everybody needs to take that journey. So I just, I've started writing a lot more on this subject and I'm going to start consulting more on it, like do all that. So, but right now, Twitter. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Matt, I really want to thank you very much for the time. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and I'm, I'm sure everybody listening also got some, some nuggets out of from lightning so. strikes to book recommendations, <laughs> you name it. So yeah, appreciate you taking the time and, and can't wait to have you back on again soon for another episode. For sure, man. It's been fun. Appreciate it. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.